Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, everybody, welcome in another edition of the Believe in Patriots podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network. The Pats are two and two after a subpar, I think you could say, performance on Monday night, a 26 10 loss to the Chiefs. So you can follow me on Twitter at WDEV Radio Brady. Going to be joined for the entirety of this episode by Doug Flutie, former Patriots quarterback, Canadian football Hall of Famer, Heisman Trophy winner. He'll be with us. He's on Twitter at Doug Flutie. Our producer is Aaron Wells. And also Heisman Trophy winner Charlie Ward is going to join us in about 15 minutes. He'll talk with me. So Doug's got a Heisman. Charlie's got a Heisman. I got men's league championships. But you know what? It's impressive to me. So as always, the podcast is brought to you by our friends at Bet Online, The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at games this year in most stadiums, but you can certainly be in on the action at Bet Online. I already like it. I'll tell you here, as we tape this on Tuesday night, I like Philly plus seven at Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's good. They're very good. Philly, though, maybe turned a corner and their Sunday night win over the 49ers. So from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you the most options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So go online to bet online. That's betonline.ag to start to place your wagers today. All right, here we go. Aaron to the podcast. What you're about to hear is a presentation of the Believe in Patriots podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. All the news, opinions, and insights on your six-time Super Bowl champion doing with patriots now it's your host me brady farkas and heisman trophy winner cfl hall of famer and former patriots quarterback doug flutie all right it is the believe in patriots podcast heading into week five we're coming off a week four loss for the pats against the chiefs welcome in the hall of famer the two-time former patriots quarterback a whole lot of other teams in there all of which he was successful for doug flutie doug how are you i'm doing great thanks hanging in there a little disappointed that the patriots are two and two but uh doing all right you know we'll get to our overall takeaways in a second but right out of the bat I got to ask you how frustrating is it when you know you've had a chance to win and you shoot yourself in the foot repeatedly like New England did you never get games back now there's time to recover to get to playoffs but when you get down to the wire you're gonna have a team like Buffalo that's that's playing really well right now that you're chasing the rest of the year you never get that opportunity back and to play as well as the Patriots did on defense against Kansas City, yeah. shutting them down. I mean, under 20 points on offense for Kansas City. Yeah. And giving away opportunities to get points in a game that without your starting quarterback, you still had an opportunity to win. And you weren't even in it at the end. When you're the when your group, when your unit is the unit that's blown it. How do you feel as the quarterback? Uh, you're 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 letting down that you know, everybody feels that accountability to each other. Yeah, you know whether it's a field goal kicker at the end of the game, a punter that's having a rough day, a quarterback that's struggling when the defense is playing great. Um, you know it's so disappointing because actually the Patriots at times ran the ball really well. Yes, they were overall kind of efficient as far as ball control, but there were no big plays. That The number one thing that my takeaway was that there were no big plays. Therefore, you didn't get the big score, the touchdowns. You weren't getting it in the end zone. Even you had settled for field goals. But it, it's a frustrating part to, to look at yourself in the mirror the next day and know that there were mental mistakes as well as the physical one. Like, I'm sure, you know, Julian Edelman, yes. phenomenal wide receiver, great, you know, 
a rookie quarter or a young quarterback trying to get his feet going and all that throws a ball to the flat. It's off your hands and six points the other way. And you know, that's kicking Julian today, but those types of things, you just, you got to put them behind you and keep going forward. You know, we always say the Patriots won't beat themselves. And there I walked out of this game feeling like they beat themselves. So let's get to our overall takeaways. Aaron, cue it up. Overall takeaways. Number one. All right, Doug, I'll start here. For me, I'm going to dovetail off something that you said. Like, I came into this game expecting a loss. I had my little pen and paper out when the schedule came out and said, okay, at Kansas City week four, that's a loss. I was prepared to take away a moral victory like I did after the Seattle loss. But the way it played out, I ended up frustrated and mad. The Pats had no business being in this game, and yet they were. They had a chance to take a lead before the half. They had a chance to take a lead late in the third quarter. They couldn't. They dropped passes. They dropped picks. They didn't know how many timeouts they had. Sacks, fumbles in the red zone. Like They should have won this game, Doug. I I agree with you 100%, especially as well as they played on defense. They dropped two interceptions right away, right? Mahomes hadn't thrown an interception all year. He lays one in your lap, and one of the best defensive backs drops it, okay? I mean, those types of things are – you don't get those moments back. Turns around a couple plays later, hits a big shot down the field, and Kansas City's going down to kick a field goal. Um, Before the half, the mental mistake of clock management, and those are things that drive Bill Belichick crazy. You know, especially if you are a backup quarterback, the one thing you have as a veteran guy is game management. You know, be a game yeah. manager, do things right. I'm, you're probably afraid to take, I was talking a little earlier about hitting big plays and all that, but a lot of times as a backup, when you get that opportunity, you're just trying to be smart with the football, control the ball. You don't want to take too many chances and make mistakes. And then you allow yourself, and there was plenty of opportunity to throw that ball away. You allow yourself to get sacked while the clock's running and the clock's going to run out on the half and a guaranteed three points is off the table. Well, echoing what you said, Ted Johnson, a former Patriots linebacker who won a Super Bowl, Aaron, he said this on NBC Sports Boston last night. Obviously, Brian Hoyer did not uh, play well. We, you, you were hoping that maybe he just wouldn't screw the thing up. And he, let's face it, he did screw the thing up. When you have, when you have you mismanaged the clock right before halftime, that's a, that's a killer going into half. What goes through – What take me through the week of preparation. Like how much are quarterbacks taught every single week about red zone preparation, about time management, or is it just a detail that you're supposed to know when it's you know your 10th year in the league? It's something you should know. Something you should know and should be forefront in your mind. You're looking at – you're constantly in that last drive or in a two-minute drive. Eye in the clock, eye in your timeouts, down in distance, situational things. And it's yeah. just complaint. He hasn't been – under fire and been th- I'm sure from the sideline he's uh, he's he's processing all that every week right but under fire it didn't quite happen all of a sudden he decided to hang on the ball because he didn't he was well protected on the play yeah oh, I'm going to give this play a chance I'm going to back up I'm going to give it one more look one more look and now all of a sudden he can't throw it away because he's in the grass getting pulled down um you know you have to have that mindset before that ball is snapped that I'm going to take my first go, go one two out of bounds, one, two, out of the end zone. And actually, because the clock, it took so long to snap that ball. Like, if they had gotten to the ball and snapped it pretty quickly, yeah, it would have been okay for it, a short completion inbounds and then run up and spike it. But it, it had gotten to the point that they wasted probably eight to ten seconds before that ball even got snapped, which caused the situation to be end zone or incomplete. 
You know, it's so frustrating too because some of the best advice I guess I got from an old from an old baseball coach of mine was like, and he played in the minor leagues, and he told me he said, "When I was twenty, my physical ability was way better than my mental ability. When I was forty, my mental ability was way better than my physical ability. Somewhere in there was my sweet spot, was my prime." Like. Hoyer's on the side of his career where the physical ability is down. The mental ability is supposed to be up. Like you're supposed to be able to trust him to not do things like that. Yeah. And I'm sure Bill does and Bill did. And, um, you know, it, it's different. You get out there, it's live bullets. All of a sudden the clock was running and it ran a little further than you expected. And the thing that frustrates me is the mentality of, being so he's I could see it in him that he's trying to be precise and exact yeah. and the ball is out on you know throughout the game taking checkdowns all day long but no big plays happen when you do that at some point you got to you know and and you've seen Tommy do it Tommy Brady you know Tommy's balls out in 1.6 balls out balls out balls out and then all of a sudden there's that play where he's hanging on the ball drifts and moves steps up through the pocket somebody runs a double move and you're throwing the ball across the field down and you hit you need those big play 15 play drives for touchdowns don't happen very often you need some big, big chunk plays and that is really in the overall thing picture what was missing in this game you know, and it's surprising to me, to, to your point, that they didn't take any chances or that Hoyer didn't take any chances because I kind of get it when you're a backup quarterback or a guy who's fringy losing your job. You want to do everything you can to not make the big mistake to lose your job. But like Hoyer knows that Cam's going to play as soon as he's back. So like you're kind of playing with house money. Why not just go out and let it fly? You can't because it's a clock management. It's uh, down and distance. Like even the first, first third down of the game is third down and eight. The yeah. safest call on third down are slant routes. And that's what they yeah. call it, double slants on the backside. It's a slant catch. Nice. I got my – oh, he's a yard short. Okay, we're punting. Hoyer jogs off the field, and as a quarterback, you're thinking, okay, I did my job. I did everything right. We came up a yard short. Not a big deal. Okay, I know what I'm seeing. But that's just trying to get to that point to be a manager. And I, you just got to turn it loose sometimes and – I I understand the philosophy in this game because Kansas City is so dynamic on offense that you work the clock a lot. You want to shorten the length of this game because of the explosiveness on the other side. So it was a lot more of that letting the clock run, you know, just getting first downs. But it's the easiest thing for a quarterback are shot plays. When you go hard play action and just say, hey, I'm throwing this thing 60 yards and you work yourself all the way across. You know, this is a shot. and Just don't underthrow it. Lay it out there and let them. So that's the stuff that, you know, I, I would have liked to have seen out of this game. The team won't use it as an excuse. I think the way the game played out, I won't use it as an excuse either. But how absurd is it to travel day of game? Like this is like high school all of a sudden where you're taking a bus ride to the game and two buses, two big yellow school buses are getting off. These guys are traveling. I said that to my wife. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous to to have to travel day of game. It's like bring your pads on the bus with you. Let's go. We're going to play. You know, it, it just and going to Kansas City, it's not like you're jumping on an hour flight down in no. New York and playing the Jets or something. You're going out to – it's a legit – they're up early, 6 a.m. or something, and two different planes, and it just – it's this year. It's what's going on. Guys have had to adjust. They did. And I'm, I still say the Patriots went out and played 
Yes. Their asses off. They played hard. Defense played great. Offense did some really good things, moving the football, running the ball, mixing it. The, like I said, the thing that was missing were big plays, and then that crucial mistake would happen, which cost them points. And they lose by 16. They lose by 16 in a game that should have been a one-possession game yes. down the wire easily. And it, it just didn't happen that way because of mental errors. So frustrating. The Patriots had a chance to win a game. They had no business um, being in in the first place. And there they were in a position to to almost get a, a huge upset. Aaron, let's get to what people nationally are saying about this Pats game. Sometimes people say stupid things. I said, how do I want Patriot games to go? For Cam to play great and they to lose in heartbreak. Yeah, check and it. check. Everything came up, Nick, right you this weekend. Sometimes people say smart things. But it works. I thought Cam was accurate. I thought he made really good decisions. They played to his strengths. Locally, regionally, nationally. Here's what they're saying about your New England Patriots. All right, Doug, I want to go to another former quarterback, a guy who played high-level ball at Alabama. ESPN's Greg McElroy wonders if Cam can't go or if Cam isn't the future answer for the Patriots. He says it's not Jared Stidham. Here's what Greg McElroy said. Stidham is not a long-term answer. I mean, this guy was uh, a real natural thrower at Auburn and Baylor before that. But one thing he did not do a very good job of throughout the course of his college career was pocket presence. And if you look at the interception he threw late in the game on the overthrow, that was painfully late, painfully late and severely underthrown. Can we judge Stidham off of... (laughs) Off of one half of football with no preseason, we traveled the day of the game. I think that's a bit of an unfair assessment. Yeah, I think it's a little unfair. And, and to hear the comments from New England over the last year or two about him, uh, they were very high on him. One of the disappointing throws to me was the last interception. He had a shot at that post route. Throw yeah. that thing out there across the field and lead the receiver across, bend him to it, run him because he's behind the free safety was was up a little and you were behind the free safety the corners on the outside so throw it over the safety's head to the other side of the field and let your guy just run and flatten them a little bit um yeah there there's just you know play that that's what was frustrating about that throw to me but overall i thought he went in and such some poise and he made a great throw on the fade route because the fade route for the touchdown the little down the it was a relationship where the defensive back should have been was ready to look for it. The receiver looked for the back shoulder throw first, but the DB read that, turned early, so he threw the ball to the corner, and all of a sudden the receiver went by, got to the ball, and it was a perfect throw. and got. So he did some little things really well, but things like that post route, that's something, you know, like I said, when you're taking shots, there's no nerves involved in that. You're just letting it rip, and he could have thrown it across the field a little bit. See, now Stidham is doing what I wanted Hoyer to do. He was kind of playing with house money. He came in late, willing to throw it deep. The thing that was frustrating, the thing, and I would have thought he would be more conservative because he's the one who's trying to hold on to his job. I like the fact that Stidham, or trying to hold on to his position in the organization. I like that Stidham took some chances. Yeah, I think, you know, in the, I love being the guy coming off the bench. When I'm the guy coming mm-hmm. off the bench, it's like, okay, the other guy's already screwed up. <laughs> all, I can do, all I can do is be the hero. And you, you go in – and the fact that you didn't know you were playing, there's no buildup, there's no anxieties, there's no mental issue. You know, when you're the starter, 
you prepare all week as the starter and you get all this information thrown at you. And sometimes you're overthinking everything. When you're the backup, you take a smaller bit of that and you make sure you know it and you're ready and you, you have your go-tos, but you're going to learn the whole game plan, but you're going to have your go-tos and you're more relaxed all week long and even day of the game. And then when it's time to go and all of a sudden you're putting your helmet on, it's like, okay, let's go. There's nothing to lose here. All I can do is go out and be the hero. We always hear as fans that the backup is the most popular guy in town. Everybody loves the backup. Everybody wants the backup. We saw what the backup looked like yesterday. We saw what this team looks like without Cam Newton. Do we overstate the importance of the backup quarterback in most cases, unless it's you, of course? No, I, there's a very there's an important niche there for the backup <laughs> quarterback. You need a guy that, number one, and Hoyer is this type of guy. Number one, the toughest part about being a backup is preparing – without getting the reps, having a yep. mentally sharp guy that you, you know is going to study, prepare, and be ready at the drop of a dime. Because you're number one, especially in this situation, you're number one is Cam Newton. Cam's had injuries over the years, surgeries. He's a be- You know there's going to be a few games, especially running the ball as much as he's running it and the way they're running their offense, that there's going to be a few games where the backup's going to be necessary. So this is a very important role this year for the Patriots, I believe. And then the the COVID, throw that on top of it and it added this game. But the other thing about it is it's a completely different offense. When he when Cam Cam brings a certain skill set that is not there with your backup quarterbacks, and the whole game plan, you know, game plan is different. It's a totally different approach when Cam is not in the game. So that that's a little bit more difficult to prepare for as an offense. I think this game showed how valuable Cam is to the Patriots, though. I was in the camp, just let Stidham play, see what happens. I didn't want to sign Cam, not because I didn't like Cam, because I thought he would just put them too much in the middle. They're not going to win the Super Bowl, and they're not going to get a great draft pick. So I was like, just roll with Stidham. Um, I think this shows how valuable Cam is, though. Cam might have made himself some money in last night's performance by showing what it looks like without him. Yeah, I I tell you what. I I couldn't believe that Cam was available – and that the Patriots got him when they got him. Yeah. But you didn't know how healthy was Cam Newton. You know, is it going to be Cam that can do all this, or is it going to be a, I can't quite throw the ball. I don't want to run too hard. I did. And when, when he started playing, it's like, oh, it's on. I, I love this offense with Cam because it's, it's so hard to defend. It's yeah. you're defending 11 guys. The quarterbacks are runner. The quarterbacks run an option type football and can still throw it. Now it's, it's not the pick them apart passing game, but it's a lot of RPO stuff. And then probably yeah. some shots as well. So I, I love, I, they're very difficult to defend with Cam at quarterback. And I think, I think they could make a run at it in this offense. If he can stay healthy throughout the year and be healthy during playoffs. They're far better and far closer than I thought. Um, and I got to admit, I was wrong. I thought they were an eight-win baseline team. And if they're healthy, they certainly look better than that. Aaron, let's hear Ian Fitzsimmons of ESPN Radio. He kind of stated the obvious, but I got a question for Doug specifically off of it. I tip my cap to the Patriots because the, one of those plays we just mentioned, one of them gets made, and this, 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 this game tonight has a whole different taste, a whole different feel to it. So that's what we've said. We know that the Patriots were a couple of big plays away from winning this game, potentially. I want to ask you specifically about the defense. We heard a lot in the broadcast about the Patriots dropping eight, playing eight defensive backs. They were essentially giving Mahomes time to throw and then just not giving him any place to throw it to. What do you see as a quarterback when eight defenders have dropped? Patrick Mahomes and I are 
similar in one respect. We, we both drift away from Rush and I bought time and moved and slid mm. and all that. And that's what Mahomes does. Mahomes does. I did it for different reasons. But when you feel a three-man rush, my first thought of is don't force a throw. I know there's going to be tight windows. Don't force it. I'm gonna If that first read's there, I'll hit him. But I'm hanging on to this thing. I'm going to make these guys – I'm going to wait for something to work open and stay behind the line of scrimmage as long as possible. I think that's the difference – what, what the Patriots did when they dropped a lot of defensive backs, they put athletes on the field that can react yeah. and mirror Mahomes and tackle because it, it does no good to have a, that three-man rush if he's coming and making moves on guys that can't keep up with them. But they, the two edge defenders that dropped were also eyeing the quarterback and being in a range where he could just have a free run and take off. I think what, what you do as a quarterback in that situation, and Mahomes didn't quite do it because he's used to moving, and when he avoids, he could step up and take off. Stay behind the line of scrimmage as long as possible. Think about this. Put Patrick Mahomes behind the line of scrimmage with three big guys trying 53 yards wide to work. He can hang on to that ball as long as he wants with a three-man run. He should try to – when you're moving like that, stay behind the line. Why not just run the ball against a three-man rush? Maybe that's what they were trying to bait him to do, but if they run it against a three-man rush, I'm going to run for seven yards of pop and I'm going to be all over the, the – you know, all over it on offense that way. Why not just run it? Just because it's a three-man rush doesn't mean it's not a seven- or eight-man box. Okay. So Great. you can still play run defense. Now, if you have little guys on the field, yes. If you've got – if it's first or second down – and you've got six or seven or more eight DBs on the field, yeah, hammer the football. But you're going to do that in pretty much passing situations and longer yardage situations, I would assume. Um, but if it is a run situation, you're still playing you know, with a three-man front. Actually, one of them was even a double eagle that I, I saw two snaps of guards and center covered with defensive ends up on the edge like it was a five-man front. Just the outside guys dropped off, and it was only a three-man rush. So you can still play run defense out of it. All right, Patriots lose to the Chiefs 26-10. They're now 2-2. Two and two. We'll say goodbye to Doug for a second. Charlie Ward, also a Heisman Trophy winner, 1993 national champion, played in the NBA. He's going to join us for our interview this week as we uh, deviate a little from the Pats' loss to the Chiefs. I appreciate you being with us. Um, one of the all-time best athletes that there is, really, when you think about what you accomplished, again, Heisman Trophy winner, college football national champion, NBA veteran. First off, I had to wear the Florida State hat in your honor today. I appreciate it. <laughs> so, um, you know, I grew up in the South for a little while and actually became a big Florida State fan. My all-time favorite was Warwick Dunn. I had no idea until I started researching that you were so close to him and such a mentor at Florida State. Uh, yes, Warwick and I go – well, back to his freshman year, uh, we were roommates, and that's kind of where we where it all started. Um, we got an opportunity to uh, be one of his mentors or the beginning of a mentor-type uh, brotherly figure. Um, and, you know, with his mom, you know, getting killed uh, at an early age. And so him coming to school and me having an opportunity to be a part of his life, I was grateful for that. Um, I hadn't had that experience, uh, but... I was one that was uh, willing to be there for him. And uh, we formed a bond, um, you know, over the course of that year and years uh, after. Yeah. 
You know, what was it like playing at Florida State? You're there early 90s, you won a title, you just missed Dion, but you played for Bobby Bowden, Terrell Buckley, Derek Brooks, Warwick Dunn, all these guys who go to the NFL. What was it like playing at Florida State? And then, by the way, pretty accomplished basketball player that got to an Elite Eight also. Uh, well, it was just like any college experience. We just happened to have some very good teams, uh, very good situation. Uh, with Coach Bowden being, you know, the head coach. And I think that was um, one of the reasons why it was such an enjoyable time because of his leadership and the culture that he provided. Uh, it was more of a family atmosphere. Uh, we got an opportunity to meet all the coaches and their families throughout the year. I mean, throughout the years that we were there. Um, and we had great stability um, with, you know, just having the same coaches uh, in the same system. Uh, for the most part, uh, throughout my five years there. But um, it was a great experience, you know, getting an opportunity to play in some um, big-time games uh, at a big-time program and also, you know, have an opportunity to win a national championship. That was all, that was a great experience as well. You know, you, I know you played for Bobby Bowden in football. Was Leonard Hamilton still the basketball coach then? Uh, no, he wasn't, no. Okay. Uh, it was uh, Pat Kennedy was the coach while I was. That's in right. That's right. So you played for some old school coaches, and we talk about the Patriots, and this is the Patriots podcast, and Belichick's an old school coach. What does old school mean to you? When people say, "Oh, he's an old school coach," what does that even mean? Um, I really, I mean, people may think old school means discipline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it may mean, um, you know, doing things with details. You know, I guess being rigid in your thinking in, in some form of fashion uh, with, you know, being flexible. But I guess in, in any sense, you know, playing, playing the right way, whatever that yeah. looks like for, for, for a team. Um, I guess in football, blocking and tackling. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's old school. I don't know, but um, – Sometimes, you know, old school works, uh, but there are some things that you have to uh, change and adapt to in this current climate of um, students and student athletes or professional athletes because um, they learn differently. And, you know, the way we've learned over the course of our time or back then, you know, may not always be, you know, the best way of learning. Um, and so just being able to adapt to the new age uh, kid um, or player today um, is something that you have to do. But I would say old school is just, um, you know, having the old school, the values. Yeah. Um, I think that's something I grew up on, you know, old school, there's going to be discipline um, and, and what have you. You know, you had a chance to play because you played so many sports at a high level. You had a chance to be a part of some great rivalries. What's the bigger rivalry, Florida State-Miami football or 90s Knicks heat on the hardwood? Uh, they're about the same. I mean, hmm. no one or two. A rivalry is a rivalry. Um, and a rivalry is when the other team, you know, has a chance to win or has won. So – you can, if you had beat a team, then there's no, no rivalry. <laughs> so, uh, but that's the good part. You know, I, we, we had our times of winning. I uh, had our times of losing. 
which made the rivalry even more uh, special. But they're both the same. You know, we all had a chance to watch The Last Dance, the Bulls documentary during quarantine because we had nothing else that we could do. You were a really prominent player on the Knicks during that Last Dance season in 1998. What was it like playing against MJ? Kind of just an overarching question. What was it like seeing MJ playing against him? Uh, well, I mean, I got an opportunity to play against uh, quite a few legends uh, during my, my tenure in the NBA. And, you know, he was special. Um, I, I never beat him uh, when it came to winning a game, uh, out, you know, uh, at least a series. But, you know, he gave them a chance to win every night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and um, he did some things that normal people – uh, have tough times doing. And so that's what made him special. And, you know, I was grateful to have an opportunity to be able to compete against him. You know, we talk about the Patriots specifically, and I always ask guys who play, who are contemporary players with the Patriots, oh, what do you really think of the Patriots? What do you think of Tom Brady? And I always expect to hear that guys are jealous, that they hate him, that they can't stand him, they can't wait for these guys to retire, they can be done. What did guys think around the league of those Bulls team? What did guys think of Michael? I mean, they're respecting um, and, of course, the competitor want to beat him, you yeah. know, and that was not normally the case. But you respect them, um, and whenever you're playing against them, you know, you, you're going to give your best effort. And so, you know, sometimes you're ready for those guys to retire because they keep winning yeah. um, and wherever they go. And, um, and But when it's all said and done, you know, you, you want to compete against the best, and um, if your best is not good enough, then you work to try to find, you know, uh, what you can do to be successful. But it's tough when you have these guys who are like uh, Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, um, that play for so long and still playing at a high level. Um, you're just waiting to see when they're going to, you know, <laughs> kind of start losing some of that. Did did guys around the league, the, you know, the documentary focused a lot on the fracturing of the Bulls. Did guys around the league sense that the Bulls were vulnerable or that they might break up? I, I, I mean, we really didn't. It wasn't like a focal point. Yeah. Um, for us, we were trying to get the, be the best we can be, um, you know, the Knicks. And so, I mean, if Michael was like he took a year off played uh, baseball, and then he came back and, you know, those things. And, you know, we had to take care of our, our side, our business, and, and who are we going to compete against? We we're going to work to try to be the best that we can be. Who was the best teammate you had playing for the Knicks? I mean, I had several guys. I had great teammates. Uh, Larry Johnson. Yeah. Patrick Ewan, Allen Houston, uh, Derek Harper. Uh, Herb Williams, Buck Williams. Um, you know, I just had, I had a lot of great teammates um, that uh, you know, I was with the Knicks for nine and a half years. And so I had a lot of great guys come through um, that organization. When it get, when you think about your career, you accomplished so many great things. What's one thing, what's more painful, not winning an NBA title against the Spurs or the missed kicks in Florida State, Miami? I wouldn't, I mean, either either one, you know, is painful. Um, but I've had more 
joy, joyful moments than painful moments. Um, and, you know, you, you miss opportunities. There, that happens. And, you know, you may not ever get back to the finals, which I wasn't able to do uh, in my NBA career. Um, and then the miss kit. So I was able to overcome that by yeah. winning a national championship my senior year. So, I mean, it, that's why I always tell people, enjoy the moment. Um, and whatever the moment is, you have to enjoy it, embrace it, and work to try to improve it. So, brother, you win a national championship or you get to the finals and don't win, I mean, it's, it is what it is. But the, the process, I think, sometimes get missing um, thinking about the things that you didn't uh, accomplish. I'll get you out of here on two more questions, Charlie. So last night I'm watching the Patriots game, and the Patriots started the veteran Brian Hoyer. Jared Stidham eventually came in. And Stidham's been sitting behind now Cam Newton and now uh, Brian Hoyer. You were a guy, even though you won the Heisman Trophy, when you got to Florida State, you were sitting behind Brad Johnson, a guy who went on to win a Super Bowl in his own right in the NFL. When you're a young player, being in the college or the pros, and you really want to play, but you're stuck behind a veteran, or maybe in this some cases, maybe two veterans. What's your mindset overall? Um, well, I mean, you just have to be prepare yourself like you're uh, going to be the starter or get an opportunity to play. And I think that's something I always talk about, you know, when you talk about being patient. Um, what are you doing while you're waiting? Um, and so, you know, while you're waiting your turn, you need to prepare yourself like you're going to get an opportunity to play. Uh, this year is like none other uh, because of the COVID uh, protocol. Yeah. And so um, I think you need, everyone needs to be prepared and ready. Uh, there's been, there've been injuries uh, that's happened and guys who, who were in training camp got cut. Now they're bringing them back because of all the injuries that they may have had. And so, you know, those guys need to be prepared and ready, you know, so, I just think, you know, you need to do everything that you need to do as far as preparing yourself, whether it's you know, watching the film, you know, preparing like you're a starter. Um, that's one of the things that I was taught, you know, that you need to prepare yourself like you're a starter so that you, if you do get an opportunity, you at least have an idea of what you want to do, the game plan and all those types of things. So that when you get, get your chance, uh, you'll be ready and never know. Um, look at my man, uh, J Jordan Travis down here at Florida State. Yeah. You know, he, he's been painted as a certain type of quarterback for so long. And then all of a sudden in one game, um, he, he gets an opportunity to showcase all of his skills. And he looks like he may be, you know, the guy when it comes to, you know, being a complete quarterback. Besides the Heisman Trophy, because that's the obvious answer. Besides the Heisman Trophy, what's the coolest thing in Charlie Ward's man cave? I don't actually. Heisman is not here. Huh. <laughs> so uh, the Heisman's at the public library in my hometown. Wow. Um, so that's that's not even here. Um. Last question. I asked you about Michael. As a '90s basketball fan, I got to ask you about my favorite player. Well, my second favorite player. My favorite player was Gary Payton. My second favorite player, though, Allen Iverson. What was young Al? What was playing against and seeing young Allen Iverson like? Uh, it's very tough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, whenever someone has the green light with his skills, with his skill set, um, it makes it tougher 
on the defender because, you know, he has free reign to do whatever he wants. And if he's the guy who's they're looking to get the ball to, they're setting screens for him. Um, and then he was a good one-on-one -on -one player. So he was definitely a tough, tough cover, uh, but I enjoyed, you know, the, 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 uh, the competition. And, you know, I knew my role, my job. I wasn't there to score. My job was to try to defend guys. Uh, but I did the best I could. Uh, but it was it was definitely a tough cover. <laughs> Charlie Ward, Heisman Trophy winner, NBA veteran, started in NBA Finals. One of the uh, an accomplished tennis player, a student government at Florida State. He was a real Renaissance man. So, uh, Charlie, we appreciate it, and uh, thanks so much for the time. I appreciate you having me on. <laughs> All right, thank you to Charlie Ward for joining us. He's got a Heisman. Doug's got a Heisman. I've got nothing. Aaron, our producer, has got nothing. So fun to talk to Charlie. Appreciate him. I can't, you know, he won a Heisman trophy, played against Miami, teammates with Warwick Dunn, played with Patrick Ewing against MJ. That's a life in itself right there. He's not even 50 years old yet. So we welcome in back again Doug Flutie as we continue our recap of the Patriots and Chiefs. Um, Aaron, let's get to uh, something notable, because I, I got something I got a question for for Doug here, too. It might be big, it might not be, but it caught our attention. One big note from the game. Doug, you mentioned this earlier. Julian Edelman had that drop, right? Stidham throws the pass, Edelman gets the, you know, Edelman drops it, pick six, goes the other way. From ESPN. Okay, that's the 11th dropped pass by Julian Edelman since the start of last season. No other player has more than eight in that span. So this is now a problem for Julian Edelman. Well, two, two factors there. One, the number one is he's been such a go-to that he has targeted so many times yeah. that if you have a drop here and there, the, the numbers may add up. But with the two drops he had this week, I question whether he's got little nagging injuries. That's yeah. what causes you to not quite be able to flip your hips around and, and catch the ball as athletically as you like. If uh, I saw him, he caught the seam route. He kind of caught it. And when at the end of it went to the ground and avoided a hit and got touched down, you know, yeah. lit up, you know, he caught it, went down, covered, protected himself. And to me, a couple of the ways he caught some passes and a couple of the ways that the ball kind of went off him and he had the drops, I, there might be some nagging injury there. I don't know what it is. I, it's just strictly a guess that that all of a sudden the body's not moving the way you want and it's not as a relaxed catch. I don't know, but I, you never question his heart. He plays harder than anybody on the field, puts his head down and runs over people in a little body, all those things. And I love Julian. I remember him as a rookie. Yeah. Me, like he was looking at Wes Walker. He says, oh, I'm faster and stronger than Wes. I'm going to die. And I'm like, who is this kid? You know, I, yeah, great. You know, good Pat. And we actually on the sideline of a Boston college game, they were playing Kent state, which was his alma mater. And we were talking about this and I'm like, boy, this guy's got some confidence. And uh, sure enough, he's shown that over the years. And, you know, I don't question his, 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 his grit or anything like that. And I just, I wonder if he's got a little nick somewhere that that's not allowing him to do what he usually does. I was going to ask you, did you have an undersized teammate who had that bulldog mentality yeah. like Edelman? But I'm wondering if that guy was just you. Like, it, 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 it must have been me, too. Yeah. <laughs> that was me. But excluding me, the guy that comes to mind is Tim Dwight. Yes. Tim Dwight from Iowa, right? 
Tim was the fastest guy on the field. He was a great kick return, punt return guy, uh, Super Bowl touchdown for Atlanta on a kick return, all that yes, stuff. Yes, beautiful. I played with him in San Diego and in New England. He would shoot up his – he had turf toe, and he would shoot that thing up every week. He'd be in a boot all week, wow. wouldn't practice, and line up on game day and go. He, we, had, we were getting crushed. We were losing in Miami by over a couple of scores. Drew Brees was quarterback, and it was third and 18 from our own five-yard line with a minute to go in a game. He runs back out on the field in third down. He's got a punctured lung and a cracked rib. And he runs wow. back out for third down, runs an underneath route, catches a five-yard route, turns up field, and throws his body into two defenders for a seven-yard gain. And we punt on fourth down with under a minute to go. <laughs> it's like, Tim, what are you doing? You know, that was him. That's him in a nutshell. That's the way he played football. You know, you were talking about Edelman, and it got me thinking. We saw the touchdown from Nikhil Harry. They need him to be – I don't want to say better. That's too harsh. They need him to be more a staple of the offense. They drafted him in the first round last year. He doesn't need to have 100 catches. I don't need him to be A.J. Green or Julio Jones. But they need to take some pressure off of Edelman, both physically and just maybe mentally and emotionally, because you shouldn't be relying on a 34-year-old wide receiver like they do. You know, and, and what Julian does best are those option routes and little under stuff. And maybe then all of a sudden he hits a seam and he catches a big ball or the, the cross field. You need a dominant X, weak side wide receiver, that if he gets one-on-one -on -one coverage, it's on. When this guy, when Randy Moss was weak side, and it's one-on-one, -on -one, and that safety stays in the middle field, the ball's going there. You know what? Sometimes when the safety goes over the top, I'm still throwing it to them. They need that out of him. He needs to become that guy that they're afraid to leave one-on-one -on -one because you, you can bracket two guys. There's, there's two. You can bracket the slot, and it used to be Gronk on the other side. Yeah. They'd worry about him. You know, Maybe the safety would double there. Who are they going to double? somebody's going to be one-on-one. -on -one. And if you leave that wide receiver one-on-one, -on -one, he needs to burn them and, and it needs to open up other guys to get those one-on-one -on -one matchups. When I think of slot receivers as I was growing up and as you were playing, I think of Wayne Krebet and I think of Bobby Ingram. And outside of that, I can't think of too many prevalent slot receivers from the 90s, early 2000s. Was the slot receiver as big in the 90s as it is now? No, no, definitely not. With the spread offenses came – the option, well, we always ran option routes, but we ran it with backs out of the backfield. Yeah. We'd, run it, we'd run some options with the tight end and this, but all of a sudden the spread, the empty sets isolate the inside. One of the guys is going to be one-on-one. -on -one. Where's yep. my spot that's one-on-one? -on -one? I got a quick shifty guy that doesn't need to blow by people and can create separation and get the, the five-yard gains, the little pivot routes, the, the rub routes, all that stuff. And that's it was the empty sets, and um, it was stuff actually that we did in the '90s up in Canada. Yeah, started. Yeah, we were running empty, you know, for years. It's, it's amazing how things trickle down and how slow the NFL is to, to adjust to what other people are like. They saw the success of zone read, yeah, and, and the quarterback running the ball in college, but it took them a while to buy into it. And uh, you know, it was the same way back from '90s to 2000s with all the empty stuff. All right, Doug, as we finish up this podcast, we'll end it with our final segment. Aaron, let's get to random Patriots Twitter takes. The internet is a weird place. Where'd you hear that? The internet. And you believed it? Yeah. They can't put anything on the internet that isn't true. Where'd you hear that? The yeah. internet. Now it's crazy Patriots Twitter takes. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. 
<laughs> All right, Doug, crazy Patriots. Are you ready for piano necktie? Yeah. <laughs> so this one comes from a Kansas City television reporter named Eric Nafong. He says, Patriots fans being mad at the referees is ironically hilarious. Look, there was a horrible call um, on the, the Mahomes was down. He wasn't down. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was a terrible call. It didn't cost them the game, but it didn't help. I do believe things even out, like the Josh Jacobs fumble last week wasn't really a fumble, and the Patriots got the benefit of it. But I got a question for you, Doug. Are refs too quick to protect the quarterback? Because Mahomes wasn't in the grasp, and he wasn't down, and they treated him like he was anyways. I really – I mean, you saw it with – Yeah, the answer is yes. And I don't know where the answer – there's such an effort to protect the quarterbacks and these head, head-to-head collisions – that you you remember when uh, one of the defenders had Tom Brady tackled and let go of him, and Tom ran in the end zone for a touchdown, yes. right? Because they're so afraid to drag people to the ground, and they're usually quick with the whistle. And I football is you got to let them play. You can't put flag. Maybe you can put flags <laughs> on the quarterback. All right, we're just going to pull the flag and say I got him. The ball wasn't gone. Um, I don't know what the answer is. I. All I know is I wish I played in today's game where they can't hit you below the waist. They can't hit you above the shoulders. I'm only five, nine and a half. They got this much. They got six inches to hit or they're getting a penalty. You know, it just I, I would hate to be a defender in this game right now going after the quarterback and trying to make even the out of bounds personal foul. One of them they picked up. One of them they picked up. The second one they didn't pick up, but, they you know, on the Patriots that was he fell down. He went, yeah, I put a hand on him, but he fell down. It it just, it's such an effort to protect them. And uh, it is, it's football. We know that we know the dangers. We know the risk. It's football. I heard a I met Gene Steratore, the official now does the games at CBS. I met him once in a hotel in Jacksonville and he was telling me stories about him and Brett Favre and about how Brett Favre was trying to chum him up before the game. Did you ever try to get in with the officials before the game? No, no, I wasn't. I, I got that familiar with when I was playing in the CFL, very familiar with who was the uh, referee of the game. And we, we would chat during the game and he would give me heads up on the clock and things that were going on um, and you got to know him. But uh, you never got to the point where you could buddy buddy and get a favor out of him or anything like that. But um, I, I actually enjoyed the the light because there'd be like light humor that came throughout as well you know but no you'd never get a call because of it did you ever flop by the way like Mahomes because you're right Dietrich Wise was holding him up so he didn't fall down and he went down anyway so then the other one he's running towards the sideline and then just stood there stood there stood there and the last second stepped out and tried to flop you weren't a flopper were you I was not a flopper I did and it, it was we are playing the Redskins. I was in San Diego. And I got hit late. It was well after the play. And I was just standing there. I was kind of – I knew he was going to hit me, so I stood there flat-footed and let him. And it was – the ball was over there or whatever. It was after the play. And he hit me up top, and I got back on my heels. And I there was no recovery to stay up. But he just banged me. He just kind of banged – there was no – so I kind of let myself fall backwards, rolled over, and then looked for the ref, <laughs> and the flag came out. But it wasn't like I was flopping because I there was no way I was going to stay up on my feet. 
But the way I rolled and looked at the ref looked like it was a total flop. Mahomes looked like a JV basketball player looking to impress the coach trying to draw a charge. So, all right, that'll do it for this episode of Believe in Patriots podcast. For Aaron Wells, our producer, for Doug Flutie, former NFL quarterback, Heisman Trophy winner, CFL legend, Hall of Famer, I'm Brady Farkas. Patriots are 2-2. Two and two. Doug and I will be back again later in the week previewing the Broncos game here on the Believe uh, Podcast Network. Until then, go Pats. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.